expecting good things from the Word. Tonight, oh my goodness, this conference already has just, or camp meeting, uh, has already just been so rich, such a blessing, and uh, and I'll do my best to, to add to it. We thank God for the Holy Spirit, who is really our teacher and our guide, amen? amen. And we thank God for uh, for all that all that he's done, all that he is. Let's just pray a minute. Father, we thank you. We first of all give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise for all that you are, all that you've done for us, all that you're doing for us, all that you will do, all the blessings and benefits of, of, of heaven. Lord, we thank you that, uh, that the word as it goes forth tonight will just uh, explode and expand in our heart. Lord, we thank you that our faith is built. We thank you that our courage is encouraged. <laughs> Amen. Lord, we thank you that uh, the peace of God that passes understanding belongs to us in every way. We give you all the praise and honor for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to turn. I'll just throw in something on grace here. Kind of throw it at you. Those that are watching by internet, we welcome you tonight. Trust that you receive something that will encourage you. Amen. Um, we, I think we, we named these, these meetings Grace and Faith because I think that just covers a lot of ground. <laughs> it's pretty, it's not so restrictive that way. Amen. And I'll tell you, if you, if you think that you're, if you think that your grace message doesn't include faith, well then you've got the wrong one. <laughs> Because <laughs> we uh, receive one of the great scriptures that we have is Ephesians 2, 8. We're saved by grace through faith. It's all in the same breath. And I think if you take an, if you take one of those elements out of it, you've got problems with your, with your theology and problems with your doctrine. Well, if you take grace out of it, uh, well, we got new, new, New gremlins in the sound system all of a sudden. If you take, um, if you, maybe it's, maybe it's, am I rubbing the mic? Am, am I doing it? Well, th- this was not a good selection. Gar- garment failure. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll put it there. I think that's better. All right. Praise God. I'm blaming the devil and it's me. You ever done that? Um, if you take if you take grace out of that element, then you have some kind of salvation by works, and faith can't work in that. And if you take faith out of it, well, you don't have anything to grab a hold of the grace of what's been provided through grace. Amen. So we need both of it. That's why we call it grace and faith. And um, if your faith is in anything besides the grace of God, well, then you've got some kind of alternate gospel going. It's real easy for every group to become fundamentalist. Now, what that means is, if you're not careful, you'll, you'll, you'll have some kind of a, 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 it's so subtle, isn't it? What can happen? You can have some kind of dead works thing. And, uh, take something like tithing or giving. It can be of faith and a, an action of the heart, which it should be a part of our worship. Or it can become uh, a dead work kind of a thing, and there's no faith in it, there's no power in it. So you could do that with prayer. It's not time. Somebody said one time they were looking at a group of people pray. They were not a Christian group. It was another kind of group, and they were praying in a particular location. I'll talk in code. And uh, some uh, somebody said, look at those people, how sincere they are. How could you ever believe that God would let them go to hell? Now, these are supposed to be gospel preacher people. And it's like, well, now, it raises question, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Does that person understand the gospel? Well, you know, because you could look at Muslims, you could look at Hindus, you could look at all kind of people that spend a lot of time in their religious practices. Amen? Or... Nom, what we call nominal Christians, maybe they're involved in a church, but are they really born again? They spend a lot of time at church, a lot of time doing churchy things. 
<laughs> and having different kinds of practices, does that make them uh, a believer? And uh, fortunately, we have light on this in the Word. Amen. We don't have to get bogged down and trapped in just doing things. Uh, even prayer and, and confession of the Word can become some sort of a religious rote thing, and there's no there's no life in it. Uh, the, you can become letter of the law if you're not careful. Amen? And, uh, and then wonder why things aren't working. Well, we have a God of the Word. Amen? The Bible tells us in John that God and His Word are the same. We have that. But then we also have a God of the Spirit. And we need both of it. Amen? And we need grace and we need faith. Woo! Praise God. Preach myself happy. I ain't even said anything yet. All right. Look at Philippians 3. We're talking about... Sometimes things that compete for our heart, and one of them is our track record uh, in in Christianity or our history. If we've been, we're we're more. The longer we've been saved, the more vulnerable we are to this. To rest our faith on our pedigree, you know, uh, fourth generation Pentecostal. My great great grandmother wore hair in a knot. My great grandmother wore hair in a knot and, uh, you know, didn't, you know, had a mustache, praise God, and, uh, didn't wear any nares of the devil. Anything that'll help you is of the devil. Like Teal Osborne said, breathing might be of the devil if you enjoy it. You know, it was the way it was taught, right? And so we, we, we all, we've talked today about some of us being recovering Pentecostals, you know, because you come, you come out of that. And, um, I've got friends, of course, you know, we're, we're, we're all over in the faith movement. We've, I've got friends who, like me, have a similar background, similar testimony and story. And uh, we will share, we'll, we'll share notes, you know, like at a, at a faith convention even. And, uh, we can smell legalism a mile off because we, we know it inside and out. When you've been, when you've been subjected to it and abused by legalism, then when somebody gets up and starts handing out the rules, now this is how it's going to be, you know, you tend to, the hair stands up on the back of your neck. And other folks are just going along with it because they say, well, I, I never grew up in that, so I don't know what that's like. But the end of it is death. Now Paul said it was death. And it, it, if it's not physical death or something takes you out early, at least it's it's some kind of a death to your faith. And uh, so you'll start if you're not careful. If you're doing pretty good, with the rules that you're handed, you you'll get proud of yourself. And there's the problem. And you'll say, "Oh, I, it's been this many years since I," and then fill in the blank. And before you know it, that's what you're standing on. You go to God in prayer with that. Now, I was with, uh, we'll read the scripture in a minute. It's been there a couple thousand years. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I was with some folks, faith folks. I, I'm a faith folk. You know, I was I was in the faith movement before it was a movement. Um, in some cases, it's become a monument, but uh, it's okay. But, uh, you know, if we're not careful, we'll just, we'll just kind of settle down in some stuff. Uh, thinking we're pleading our case. Now, Brother Hagen did a lot of teaching and wrote a, wrote books and had chapters and books on pleading your case. You know, he'd say plead your case like a lawyer uh, before the Lord, like you need healing or you need finances or you need a uh, change in a relationship or whatever. You plead your case like an attorney. You get the word of God out, amen, and you begin to plead uh, what the word says. But if we're not careful, instead of pleading... What's really putting us over, which is the finished work of Christ, if we're not careful, we'll begin to plead our works and how I, what I gave up for Jesus. And You know, I used to smoke and I used to chew and I used to run with those that do and now I don't and therefore you should bless me. I mean, it, it becomes a, a self-righteousness kind of, kind of thing. And the trouble with that is there's no power in it. You can't move the devil. Or move the mountain with that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, you know, so folks used to testify, I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, been a member of the church of God. My, my, my great 
grandmother would say, since 1911. Now that's the year the Titanic, before the Titanic went down. And she hadn't cut her hair since. So think about that. You got hair as old as the Titanic. Hadn't cut my hair. The hadn't cut my hair part of the testimony was, was just as important as all the other. And, uh, you know, I'm on my way to heaven. Well, in fact, this cutting the hair thing was such a, a deal for her that when she finally entered into the, the nursing home, the reason she got put in the nursing home was she wouldn't stop turning on the gas and forget to light it. Now, that's a problem. You understand. You could blow up the house, maybe the whole block with that. I'm not sure. But uh, so anyway, she ended up there and to, for her protection and the safety of the entire town. And uh, my... <laughs> <laughs> so, bless her heart, she went in there and my grandmother got a phone call one day from the workers at the nursing home. They said, we need you to come help us with your mother. Said, why? Well, she's backed into a corner. We have to cut her hair because we don't have all day to wash this hair. Now, it was down to her ankle. She was Rapunzel. Church of God hair, official. And she had it down there, you know, and... uh and they and they wouldn't, you know, they they'd take all day to wash that and dry it and, and then put it in a spaghetti roll and put it up there, you know, the Tower of Babel, reaching heaven with the hair. And um, so uh, so my 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 grandmother said, "Well, I'll come see if I can help you with her." She says, "Mama, what's the problem?" Well, they're they're trying to send me to hell. They're going to cut my hair. I'm, I ain't going to hell for these people. And so my grandmother came up with an idea. Now, this is what legalism will do to you. You come up with these weird doctrines. She says, well, she says, well, what you can do is blame them. They're cutting your hair against your will, so they'll go to hell instead of you. And my grandmother said, that'll, my great grandmother said, that'll work. Randy Hall said, that'll work. So I'll just let them go to hell. So the whole time they're cutting her hair, she's going, I guess you know you're going to hell. Now, this is not what I recommend for witnessing. This doesn't attract people to the things of the Lord. But she said, I guess you know you're going to hell. And they said, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. Then she kept cutting. <laughs> Thank God she didn't have to deal with that hair anymore, you know. Praise the Lord. And after she got it cut, she kind of liked it. She said, this feels lots better. I'm thinking, well, you could have done that before the Titanic went down. You know? I mean, so you can see we, some of us are, we, we're, we got our, our radar for legalism. It works at a higher rate than some people's because we've been under, under the tyranny of it. And, uh, how mean it becomes and how controlling it becomes to where other people are wanting to control your thoughts almost. Uh, so Paul said here, this is pretty cool about the, the, uh, the difference. And, you know, if we get this, it'll be great. Uh, Philippians 3, um, 2, he says, beware of dogs. Boy, that's seeker sensitive, isn't it? He just writes right off, calls them dogs. He says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, and then finally beware of the concision. Now, uh, that's a little uh, uh, sensitive subject, uh, no pun intended. Uh but the uh, concision, what are what are the concision? The concision are the self-circumcised. Now, these are folks that the Jews convinced that they needed to be circumcised, and so they self-circumcised, trying to keep the law. Uh, and, and notice Paul didn't say, let's honor them for their commitment. He said, beware of them. And yet there's a tendency in church land to honor the rule keepers. Say, my God, here's sister so-and-so. If anybody's a saint, it's her. Well, it's usually based on works, not necessarily based on faith, not necessarily based on spiritual, real spirituality. It's based on, you know, they're the, they're the good rule keepers. And the or, organized church will absolutely reward you for that. Praise God when everybody shout at once. But it's the truth. It's it's kind of the, the Achilles heel there. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus only. See, we rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Wow. Now, see, I, this is right up my alley preaching here. 
And I think Paul meant when he said, I have no confidence in the flesh, I have no confidence in, he meant in his flesh or yours. Amen. Somebody will say, now see, this will help you grow up if you'll, if you'll get a hold of this. Um, somebody will say, did you hear, you know, the gossip, the preacher gossip? Did you hear about, you know, a certain preacher that, you know, committed adultery or, you know, some horrible thing happened? And, 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 uh, it's all, you know, it's, we're always shocked when we hear something like that. It's always somebody that you couldn't imagine. And they say, did you hear that they did? No, really? Well, doesn't that surprise you? I am shocked. I'm not shocked because Paul said that he has no confidence in the flesh. Amen. Uh, I, I would never stand here and say, well, I guarantee you one thing, David Horton will never be found, you know, doing whatever. Well, in, in the name of Jesus, that's true, but it's only because of his grace and only because of walking daily in Christ that that would be true, not because I'm such a fantastic Christian. The minute it becomes because I'm such a great person, then there's trouble. Uh, pride goeth before a fall, you know. And so that's the trouble with law-keeping and keeping score with it all. And... Um, I remember one time I was talking about this today at lunch. It's hysterical because the Holy Spirit will tell off on you. But I was preaching at a church, a friend of mine's and a nice church. And, and I, and I said something about, you know, my upbringing and heritage and all that. And I said, you know, I've never even seen a marijuana cigarette, much less smoked one. And I was kind of, I kind of had a pride about that. Well, I, I'm such, I am such a Christian here. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it's a good thing, you know, but on the other hand, it, it's a good thing, but yet on the other hand, it can be a bad thing if I'm counting it for my righteousness because it has nothing to do with it. And uh, so I said that, and the Holy Spirit said to me almost audibly, that's because, <laughs> I can hear it, that's because no one ever offered you one. <laughs> now, I was offered other things on the Pentecostal campground, but not... <laughs> There wasn't, there wasn't pot available. Other things were available. That is none of your business. But anyway. (laughs) What was it, Pastor? Well, you just keep guessing. I love this and have, are you getting anything out of this? That's the first miracle. Have no confidence in the flesh. The minute you start being proud of yourself of how long you've walked with the Lord, you're, you're on the wrong path, I'm telling you. Uh, we, our praise and our thanksgiving needs to be for the work of Christ and what he's done. Amen. Now, are there benefits to living, you know, Sometimes in what I call Graceland, which is becoming kind of a, a thing, there seems to be a, a like no discussion available or acceptable uh, concerning behavioral holiness, and yet the Word of God is full of it. In fact, the Apostle Paul talked a lot about it. And so there is something to be said for behavioral holiness. Amen. To make of, of saying, I you know d- determine. I have decided to follow Jesus. I'm going to do the right thing, and if I'm found doing the wrong thing and I know about it, I'm going to correct it, and the Holy Spirit's going to help me. Amen. There, I mean, there's benefits to Christ, good, clean Christian living. Amen. Praise God. But the danger comes when we start counting on what we do on a daily basis instead of what he's done at Calvary. It's the finished work. Paul really said, he, he, you know, we can almost thank the Judaizers for having all this material here. Because he said, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all I want is Christ and him crucified. That's all I want you to know. And like when he went to that church at Galatia, remember last year at our meeting, I started with that one, oh foolish Galatians who, who have bewitched you. But he's saying, what's the matter with you? All you've ever known from me is Jesus Christ and him crucified, the finished work. That's all they knew. And here comes the Judaizers. Now, y'all need to be circumcised. Was it an honor system that you said you were or you weren't? I don't know. 
I'd hate to be on the committee that does the test. Think about it. Don't think long. Uh, you don't, you think I'm kidding. And yet Paul said that he and Titus were out traveling around and he said there were spies to see if Titus was circumcised or not. Now, how do you get on that? How do you get assigned to that for your ministry of helps? We need, uh, we need surgery inspectors. No, Sister Jones, you can't be on that. Well, I'm willing to do anything for the Lord. <laughs> well, you ain't doing that, all right? And have some other people be the inspectors. I mean, they're spying. So this, the, these folks are taking it serious, and Paul got mad because he literally, I mean, Galatians is, he's a little ticked. And he's saying, you know, <laughs> he's, he's really mad. He said, are you so, actually, I think the Message Bible or, uh, one of, uh, another translation says, are you so stupid? Are you so, not only foolish, are you stupid? Uh, are, are you so deceived that you would, you would think that now that you've started in the spirit, you're going to be, uh, completed, uh, or perfected in the flesh? Well, that's what he's talking about, confidence in the flesh. Again, uh, our, our, you know, the denomination I grew up in and, and others from those, from those, uh, you know, time slots in history got the whole thing upside down. Paul said, let, let your holiness not be in, uh, how you fix your hair and the wearing of gold and that kind of thing. And we, our denomination turned it into, uh, they finally, you know, corrected it, but it took about 75 years to correct it where, where it became about your hairdo. And it came about what you wore and didn't wear and how long your skirt was and, and all that. And they had, went around and actually measured, you know, the poor, I'll never forget my great granny, the one with the hair from, you know, from the Titanic. She, um, my mother had this brilliant idea of having her come and stay with us one time while they went to some conference. And so she's there and we're at a Sunday night service and, uh, you know, we reload the choir after this, this preaching and start up singing again and let people come seek for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know. Well, this girl, her, I remember her name. If you're watching, God bless you. Her name is Avis Oberlander. That was her name. I remember these things. And so she comes and she's seeking the bat. This is 1968. Girls are wearing mini skirts. How many remember? Mini skirts. And, uh, people like my great grandmother just thought you were I mean, you were like a, the devil if you wore a miniskirt, you know. God hates legs, hates them. <laughs> he hates armpits, too. He doesn't like those to show. <laughs> hates the color pink, and he likes hairy, burly women. God likes them. Yeah, burly. I call them B-wogs, burly women of God, praise God. <laughs> We'd have them kind, you know, the, the hair, they look like Daughter of Frankenstein. You know, that if you ever saw that, that great sequel to Frankenstein. The hair standing straight up, you know, and they'd stand up with a mustache and that hair and no makeup, and no jewelry and looking just as ugly as they can possibly look. And they'd stand up and they'd say, um, I'd like for y'all to pray for my husband. He won't come to church with me. And I'm thinking, he won't go to the grocery store with you. <laughs> He don't want to be seen in public. It was freakish. I mean, I don't know if anybody remembers that era, but I mean, it was really something else. Um, <laughs> I don't remember what I was taught. Doesn't matter. Anyway, oh, Avis Overlander, we're left there at the altar, seeking the baptism. Holy Ghost. Well, you know, we reload the piano and organ. We're singing glory, glory, glory. Somebody touched me. Must have been the hand of the Lord. Who else could it be? I don't know. I have no idea. Anyway, we're singing that song and carrying on and you reload the choir and it's getting later and she's hollering louder and finally she relaxes and speaks in tongues. A little hickey mo shandai comes out. We get the microphone, which is a sure 
Chrome one on the stand, you know, and hold it down so everybody can hear her speak in tongues and the two, you know, so that everyone knows that it was worth all the effort. And so now we can go home. And so we get home and Granny Hall is in the kitchen slinging pots. You've ever seen a mad woman with pots? It's a little scary in the kitchen. You know, things are being slammed down on the stove and pots and pans. She wants everyone to know she's mad. Some of that hair is starting to come loose and fly. And I said, uh, are you upset over something, Grandma? Like what gave you the clue, you know? Are you upset over something? Yes, that girl down there seeking the Holy Ghost. She ain't going to get it with that with that nakedness. Now, nobody can say nakedness with a degree of disgust like a South Georgia Pentecostal woman. Nakedness. She said, I said, that. well, she wasn't quite naked. <laughs> For those that speak English, the word is naked, but we said naked. That makes it worse. Just sounds nastier, doesn't it? Naked. You hold the in a little. Naked. So it comes out, comes out. So she says, my, she says, she ain't gonna get filled with the Holy Ghost. I said, well, she actually did. Well, then it was demon tongues. Now we have that doctrine too. The demon tongues, those that aren't authorized. By the denominations, those are, if God fills somebody with lipstick on, it's a demon. <laughs> so, she, you know, she, well, it was demon tongues. I said, it wasn't demon tongues. Yes, it was. Until she sewed ruffle on that dress, <laughs> God will not fill her. Now, you see why some of us are a little sensitive about grace. Because when you grow up in that craziness, it gets out of hand and nuts, you know. And then people, I wonder why the Lord had to have a charismatic movement. Because nobody in their right mind would join that. You understand. You're not going to take a Presbyterian or somebody and put them in that atmosphere. And then the the Make You Ugly committee starts. It's the truth, isn't it? God help us. I said, you know, we're the only group that will take away, you know, that come to the church, we'll take away your cigarette and give you a donut. It's much healthier. <laughs> and we had rules about everything. So I asked my dad, he was the pastor of the Crawford Avenue Church of God in Augusta, Georgia. And down the street, about a block and a half, was the Crawford Avenue Baptist Church. Praise the Lord. Now, we ran about 350, and church was just pretty good in the 60s. And uh, they had like 1,200. They were three times bigger. And I'm thinking, I was looking, I'm thinking our music's way better than theirs because they got the lady with the half glasses and the pearls playing the, the hymn, you know, just straight from the hymnal. And, you know, we've got music that's moving, you know. I mean, we've got pretty good music and a nice choir and everything, and, you know, the preaching, and we got healing, we got all kinds of gifts of the Spirit, and everything going, praise God! And we got, you know, a third of the crowd. What's wrong here? So I asked my father one time, I said, hey, Dad, I said, why does the Baptist church have more people than us? He says, well, it's easy, David. I said, why? They just let anybody come to their church. <laughs> what, a, what a novel idea. Anybody, anybody can come to their church. We have to have, we have to be holiness to come to ours. So bad. So you see why I'm the way I am. All right. So it's a miracle I serve God, much less pastor. So he has no confidence in the flesh. We'll get through this in the name. Though I might also have confidence. He says, if anybody's going to brag about something in the flesh, I'm going to, I'm going to out brag you. If any other man, now he's issuing a challenge. If any other man thinks that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel. This is no, there's, there's seven things here. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 
an Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, meaning like an attorney. I mean, a, a professional law, a quoter law. On, uh, he's got law knowledge. He's, he's a lawyer of the law. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Touching, this is the part that, boy, the anti-grace club really needs to take a look at this. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now that's that one to me, it's, it, he saved the best for last, as far as I'm concerned. Now think about Paul here. Paul is telling us to have, really, throughout the Paul's revelation, he's telling us, He's not encouraging people to live sin, lascivious lifestyles. He, he, he's, he, again, he preaches holy. Paul is a man of holiness. I believe it. Paul talked about those committing a sexual sin in in Ephesians 5. He said they're, they're not going to receive anything from benefits of being in the kingdom with that, didn't he? I mean, he was just really clear about it. He, he was not a compromiser. He was not using grace as an excuse. In fact, he said, should we, he asked the question, should we use grace as a, an occasion to satisfy the flesh? And he said, God forbid. Now this is Paul, but, but, but what you gotta understand is he didn't take Moses' law and replace it with Paul's law. He replaced it with the law of love. Hallelujah. And he talked about that, that we don't, we no longer have to go do the Ten Commandments, the stone engraved slabs to remind ourselves of what's holy. He says God has written his laws on our hearts. Praise God. And we are something else that, that they weren't. We're partakers of the divine nature. That's a good confession to make every day. I'm a, part, I'm a partaker of the divine nature. I'm redeemed from the curse. Abraham's blessings are mine. Confess all those. (laughs) Amen. And uh, I'm above and not beneath. You ever felt beneath, but you still have to say. You say, I'm going to declare. Jesus said, you have what your circumstances hand you. Isn't that what he said? No. He said, you have what you say. He didn't say, you have what you feel. You have what you think. You have what, 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 you know, you, what it is is what it is. The world has all these beautiful things they say that we can't say anymore. Cause, well, what it is is what it is. No! It's not what it is. It's what it's appearing to be. But what it is is what the Word of God says it is. Preach, brother David. Thank you, Jesus. I hope, I hope we're getting something out of this. I love this. He said concerning touching the righteousness which is in the law blameless. Now, if any, I was starting to say, if anybody could have said, now this part, I mean, everybody will say those 600 and something extra laws, you know, and um, from Moses' law. Of course, of course, of course. Oh, ha, 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 how ridiculous. We don't follow that. But then they'll, you know, bring up something else out of, it, it's a smorgasbord. Pick your favorite pet peeve of what you think is vice. Put that out there. Well, the problem with that is why didn't Paul, who was a doctor of the law, who was a Pharisee, who knew the law inside and out, if anybody had the opportunity to say, now parts of the law will help you, it was him. He never said it once. Well, he said, in fact, on concerning, because I've been in the meeting where we were instructed to respect the law, he's, <laughs> now you need to make sure you're respecting the law, even though we're under the New Testament, you got to respect it. All right, he, Paul told us what, how to respect it. He said, the law exists so that everybody's mouth is shut before God. In other words, I, we, it's actually the zeal for grace, the zeal for righteousness, the zeal for the finished work message comes out of respect for that law, which can only condemn us. And so you go up against it every time, bam, condemn. And you can't, you can't get over it, you can't get through it, you can't get around it. 
You have to be redeemed from it. You have to be picked up by the finished work of Christ and separated from the entire system of merit system and picked up and placed into the kingdom of his dear son. So there's no need in getting standing over there and having an argument in front of the, the, the monolith of the law getting into some theological debate over it. It's like, okay, sure, we recognize the whole thing. And and Paul even said, is the hall is the is the law then bad? Is it not holy? He said, no, it's it's the, it's holy, but yet Christ fulfilled it, brought it to an appropriate end. And it the whole thing was to point us to the answer. Because if you stand in front of the law and all you do is God trying to pour over that and go over that, and okay, Lord, I promise I'll do better next week. You know, <laughs> before you know it, you're condemned again. You're not you're, oh, wretched man that I am in Romans 7. That's who you become. The things that I wanted to do, I didn't do. And the things that I hate, that's what I ended up doing. And the whole wretched man who shall deliver you from his body of death. He says, I thank my God, Jesus Christ. And therefore, because of that, there is no condemnation. But not because I promised to do better. Y'all watch. God's not finished with me yet. I'll grow through. I mean, the church is full. Of, of that kind of talk, and it's all about us doing better. Well, I just went ahead like Paul and threw in the towel on the whole thing. This is what he did. And he said, if anybody can brag more than please come forward. And he said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted, I lost for Christ. It's going to get worse before it gets better, please. Um, check your shoes before you get in the car. Because we're going to put something on, uh, out, you know, for you to step in. Yea, doubtless, and I count all those things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. You're not giving up. When you give up the law and, and merit, let's just call it merit system. When you give that up, what you're gaining is so, uh, Paul said, the, the glory, the the light on what you're getting is so much brighter than what you gave up. It's as if it never had any light. I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them. Here we go. Ooh, I can't believe this this word's in the Bible, but here it is. But dung. Now, if you need to look up that word dung in any language, it's not good. That I may win Christ. Now, the actual English word there that would be similar to dung, which is repeatable, is excrement. That's bad enough, isn't it? That's what dung means. A Spanish Bible says basura, which is trash, which is a little nicer. But whether it's trash or dung, it's something that you don't want anymore. Amen. It's out of your life forever. Praise God. You don't want a lot of it on your shoe when you get in the car, right? From the from the yard. No, that's right. So, um, do you think? I, I'm just asking. Do you think Paul could have used any more extreme language than that? That's about as low as it gets. Look what he's calling dung. Look what he's calling dung. Concerning the righteousness in the law, blameless, he's calling that dung? Dear God, I mean, I like just taking the scripture and milking it, you know, for all it's worth. In other words, go to the extreme with the word and you'll see what it's really saying. Why? You're going to find out why right here. Ah, this is so amazing. He says, I want to count it, but done, that I may win Christ, which, which makes you think you can't have an, uh, you can't have a relationship with the law and a relationship with grace at the same time. And in fact, Paul says that. I, I, you know, I got like hours of teaching. I'm trying to smash into one thing here. You can see that it's a real problem, isn't it? But <laughs> Paul described the law as 
the bondwoman and her son, and he said, you don't go have an affair with the bondwoman and her son, and then you come back to the real family. He said, what are you going to do? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. He's talking about the law and the relationship with the law and trying to keep it. That's what he's talking about. And he says, get rid of that. And then the next, the very next verse says, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now see, again, in Pentecost, we made the yoke of bondage sin. He's not saying sin. He's saying the yoke of bondage is that law-keeping system, that merit-keeping system that Paul said nobody is justified by the law. If if righteousness comes, Galatians 2, if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. That's the reason that it's done. Because anything that would cause Christ and his suffering to be in vain, you, you don't want that. Get rid of it. Flush it. Praise the Lord. Oh, no. We like to compare our dung piles is what we like to do. <laughs> what all we've done for the Lord. We go on and on and... And uh, how big's your dung pile? Well, mine's higher than yours. Oh, well, touche, Bishop. <laughs> Amen. I don't want a dung pile. <laughs> and it's so tempting to do it. Well, I've done a lot of sinful things, but I've never done that. <laughs> Tell you one thing. I have some holiness pins. 47 years, Rebecca class, praise the Lord. The meanest woman in our church growing up, she looked like a bulldog. She did. My mother even said, my mother even said the other day, looking at our French bulldog, she says, look, she looks like sister, and she said her name. <laughs> My mother, 90 years old, said that. She looks like sister. So don't you think she looks like her? And every time I look at her, I think, you look like sister. You know, won't say her name in case there's relatives alive. Probably are. But she had a plaque in her Sunday school class, you know, down in the basement. You had the little tiles on the folding chairs. And um, she had a plaque in her Sunday school class that said, if every Christian was, if every member of this church was like me, what kind of church would this be? And I looked at that, and even as a child, I thought it would be a living hell. <laughs> if every church member was like her, it would be hell on earth. It would. She's like the Nazi, you know, with the dog, you know, around, you know, measuring skirts, and I mean, you know. That's what I wanted to put. I should have put that up there. If I would have been bolder back then, I would have answered her question. What kind of church would this be? A living hell, sister, sister bulldog face. I think she had more whiskers than Blanche, to be honest. I mean, praise the Lord. Nairs of the devil, you know. Um, and be. So look what he says, and I, I, I'm going to count all this as done that I may win Christ. And boy, this is something you kind of have to take inventory and do every now and then. So I, oh, I forgot to tell you. So this guy has a stroke, and I mean he's completely out of it, you know, with the stroke. You understand what I mean? Like, not only is it a stroke, but I mean it's a devastating one where he's in a coma for like two years. These are these are faith people, and. So I'm in the room, they're praying, you know, about him. And remember, Brother Hagin said, plead your case. Well, here's how they're pleading it. Now, Lord, he he has put money in a lot of ministries. He, he made a lot of cassette tapes and gave them out. He came to all the conventions. Now, the, these are supposed to be faith folks, and I'm thinking, that's not how you plead the case for healing. 
You plead the case by healing, for healing by saying, Jesus, you died for this man. Jesus, you bore stripes on his back, on your back for his healing. Jesus, you broke the power of the devil over his life. And now we stand in that. That's how you plead your case. Not, well, I went to Sunday school every year faithfully. Well, praise God, how'd that work out for you? I don't know. It's great to be faithful. I'm for that. I'm a pastor. What am I crazy? But I'm say, I'm telling you, we don't base, we don't plead our case by how many times we didn't miss Sunday school. We don't plead our case by how much money we've given. We don't plead our case by what, by what great thing we did for Billy Graham or whatever. We plead our case by talking about what the devil cares about, which is the finished work of Christ. It's about his blood and his name and what's behind it and what it means. And that's how you speak to lack and how you speak to sickness and disease. Bring up Jesus. We sing that song, uh, you know, Lord, I need you. And one of the lines is, my one defense, my righteousness. I love that. Whoever wrote that had a I don't know, they're probably from Joseph Prince's Bible school or something. Who knows, but if he's got one. But I'm telling you the words to that. My one defense, I don't have any other defense. The devil can poke holes in my record because is everything I've ever done in church land, I'm just, I'm pouring out my heart here, is everything I've done in church land since I was born on the pew practically, is everything I've done Always with the purest of motive. Did I never have any sense of self-promotion in it? Or what? Or look at me or whatever. I can't say that I'm pure in that. I don't know. I think we all know. You know, we're on the borderline. We don't always know if everything we do. Has all the giving I've done been just out of pure heart? No. Sometimes my arm was twisted off. I didn't want to be the only guy not giving for the thing the thing. I'm t- you know, okay, well, you don't want to sit there. The whole row gets up. Who's standing with Brother Bob for his bus or whatever, and you're not up there? You know, so you get up. I mean, come on, we've all, we've all pressured ourselves into stuff. And so, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? Has anybody relate to this? I mean, what I'm saying? And so if you start checking, well, was that, was that done with a pure motive? I heard some preaching the other day about not only do you have to repent for everything, but you have to do it with a contrite heart and a pure heart and what that means. And there's a whole series you have to buy. I mean, good Lord Almighty. It, it just drives you crazy. I tell you what I'd rather do. I'd rather say like Paul, I have no confidence in my flesh. It's, it's unpredictable. It's probably weak. But I'll tell you what I am strong in is in his name, his blood, his finished work. Yeah. Because what he did was pure. I don't know about David. I don't trust myself. Be found in him. I want to be found in him. I want to be found in myself. To be found in him. Having, not having, not, don't, don't lose the not, your whole thing will fall apart. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. All right, Gurley, put up that verse. In, in Amplified, and I want to show that. Ah, oh, this is so beautiful. And that I may actually be found and known as, in other words, this is his goal. Is his goal to say, oh, I'm in grace, I can just live any way I want to and sin like the devil, nobody cares. No, Paul never said that. Not only did Paul never say that, I don't know of any reliable grace preacher that has said that. It's a lie. It's a rumor and a lie that there are people. I don't know anybody preaching that. If somebody is, they're an idiot. Okay, so we don't want to take the subject of grace and throw it over in the ditch and go, that thing's dangerous, I tell you. It's dangerous, all right. It's dangerous to the devil who tries to keep you, your faith not working. Because your heart, your heart won't, be, your, your heart, you, you know, will betray you on that. 
We're going to get into that. We'll let Sister Burke teach that one. That's really great. Because your heart needs to agree with everything. And your mind, and your, and your, your heart won't let you lie, won't let you lie long to yourself. They go, I don't know. So you want your faith on that? No, I don't want my faith on myself. I want my faith on Him. Okay, verse 9. And that I may actually be found and known as in Him. Woo! Not having any. Everybody say any. Any self-achieved righteousness that can be called my own based on my obedience to the law's demands. Look at that. Ritualistic uprightness and supposed right standing with God thus acquired, but possessing that genuine righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the anointed one, truly right standing with God, which comes from God by saving faith. How about that? Okay, go to the next verse in, in Amplified. Shandai, praise God. All right. Oh, this is so beautiful. For my determined purpose. You know, that would be a good mini book title, wouldn't it? Don't yeah. steal it, Dennis. <laughs> my determined. Oh, you already got it. My deter- you're calling your, your, you're texting your publisher now. Right. For <laughs> what is your determined purpose? Those are strong words. Determined purpose. I, I mean, I'm, I'm obsessed with this. He's saying, this is my one thing. My determined purpose that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately switch to the next page. Acquainted with him perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. He's saying, this is the whole thing about grace. It's not, can I do that and still be in the church? Can I do that and still be saved? That is not, that's not even, that's not in the book. It's, it's so, it's so adolescent and ridiculous that it's not even worth a discussion. I used to argue all this on Facebook and that's, Kind of was one of my problems. The Lord just told me, get, stop having a war because you're not going to win. Because the whole argument is ridiculous. It almost soils you getting in the weeds with that stuff. Yeah. Well, are you saying that if a person commits this sin that they're still saved or are they going to hell or what are they on the, on the fence, on the thin ice, on the fence, on the thin ice? But, I mean, where does it, oh, all that discussion is not in the word. You won't find it. It's not there. It's religious, churchified, chicken fried, sanctified, but not really talk. Go to the next page. And that I may in that same way come to know. <laughs> this is his determined purpose still. The power outflowing from my rule keeping. From his resurrection, which it exerts over believers, and that I, next page, may so share his sufferings as to be continually, this is what's happening to us every moment of every day, whether we're awake or asleep or eating or whatever, I may be continually transformed in spirit, into his likeness, even to his death in the hope. Keep reading. The hope. Next page. The hope. I'm hoping for the next page. <laughs> that, if possible, I may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead, even while in the body. Right. Woo! Glory to God. We're talking about being lifted up. You know, we sing that old song, I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. And it lifted me from what? Lifted me, first of all, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And then Paul is still talking about being lifted up. Lift, lift me up. Love lifted me. You played last night. Love lifts me. Lifts me out from the dead. Even while in the body, meaning in this life. We, we become so alive to God. So that when we say, 
One time, I asked Brother Hagen one time, I said, uh, you know, because she heard all these teachings about keep saying it, keep saying it, keep saying it. Well, I noticed she didn't keep saying hardly anything. And I said to him, how many times do you, <laughs> let me just ask him, how many times do you say something before it comes to pass? Like Mark eleven twenty three. He said, once, why? I said, oh, that's what I thought too. I just was checking to see if I was on the right page. Of course, just once. I don't think he started off with once, but I think he got to the place where it really was like that with him because he was walking and living in this. You know, like the the daily lifting, like we're being lifted. No wonder we go from glory to glory, and from 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 whatever you know. I mean, ah, lift it, lift it up. Love lifts me. Power of God lifts us up out of the dung hill and the the miry clay, whatever kind that is. Probably it's in Florida if it's anywhere. Probably behind my house, a big pile of miry clay. I'm sure. Alligator pit. Glory to God, lift it up out of the death into life eternal. I believe that we can be so full of His light and His life and His glory that when we do step over out of this life into the next, we hardly look, we hardly know that we move. We hardly, other than we would know the splendor of heaven. But I mean, we just like step on up and there we are. Glory to God. This is, I think this is great scripture. All right, now look at this. Uh, look at verse 13. I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own yet, but one thing I do. One thing, one thing, one thing. Everybody say one thing. Now, I think if there's anything we can get, it's this one thing. My one aspiration. This is Paul talking. He's got a lot of knowledge here to be boiling it down to one thing. Forgetting. I think this is like, I don't know. This is like the, this is like the clue. This is the culmination of all of his ministry. All of his revelation is right here in all this. That's just my opinion. Probably some theologian could argue me now, but I, that's what I think. It is my one aspiration. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal to win. I want to win. How about you? I hate to lose anything. Don't you hate losing anything? want to win something, not lose it. Win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God, God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. Uh, 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 Sister Burke again, uh, today, uh, and you know, I think that these messages are being recorded and they're also on, uh, on, uh, YouTube, right? Or somewhere. So go back and watch and listen if you, if you didn't get them all, but uh, the definition of, of prosper uh, what was that again? To flourish. Grow vigorously. And I thought about that here. God is calling us upward. This is a prosperity scripture. Move ahead. God wants us more blessed this year than we were last year. He doesn't want our, you know, like our ministry income chart. He doesn't want it to look like the Rocky Mountains, jagged. One year's great, the next year not so great. The next year a little better, and then down. Oh, no, the three years were tough, and then back up. This is not right. This is not right for you either. Well, I don't know. The stock market's crashing, coronavirus, and then, you know, the socialist. We're living over here and pressing on to win the supreme and heavenly prize. If you can't watch the news without it upsetting, you turn the thing off. If you can't turn it off, unplug it. Go out there and cut the cable and call the people and say, something cut my cable and I want it disconnected. I'm telling you, if you, if you, I, I bet you if you didn't watch the news for a whole year, you, your life, you wouldn't even know. You, you, nothing's going to change. Sometimes I just get sick of it. I just turn the thing off. 
And they say, I, look, I got this information. Now all you're doing is repeating the bad stuff. Just quit in the name of Jesus, which is a clue for me to stop preaching. All right. Quit in the name of Jesus. Let's lift our hands and thank God tonight for the word. Glory to God. We press on. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing that song. Come, uh, Greg and Rhonda, please, and help me, and Ruby and whoever wants to.